Sunday nights we're studying the book of John, and so I invite you to take a copy of God's Word and turn to the book of John chapter 4 as we continue our series. Book of John chapter 4, and we'll begin reading with verse 27. We saw last time where Jesus told the disciples, we have to go through Samaria. This was a place the Jews did not want to go through. They went through Samaria, and Jesus tells the disciples to go get something to eat. And he's going to sit at the well. And so the disciples go into town to get something to eat. I said it last week. I would love to have been there to see their expression when he told them to go into town. Uh, you had no dealings with Samaritans, and now they're going to buy food from the Samaritans. And so anyway, they went to get food. While Jesus is at the well, a woman comes to the well to draw water. And it's around noontime, and usually you didn't get water at that time of day. So implication, she didn't want to be around people. And as Jesus is talking to her, we find out there's some scandals in her life, and that's probably why she didn't want to come during other time periods. And so Jesus is talking to her. And so you remember the story, Jesus, as he's talking to her, she begins by saying, you a Jew. And then later she says, sir. And then she said, prophet. And then finally she said, we've been looking for the Messiah. And Jesus says, I am he. And so he leads her through the plan of salvation as he's talking to her. And about that time, the disciples are coming back. And so we pick up the story in verse 27. As they're coming back and seeing Jesus talking to this woman. At this point... His disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the man, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? And they went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him food, anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look into the field and they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and one another reaps. And I send you to reap that for which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And from that city many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. And so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard it for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that we have read. And we thank you, Father, for the lessons we find in it. And so, Father, tonight as we open your word, Father, as we study, Father, I pray that you will help us to see ourselves, that, Father, we'll know what to do. And, Father, we'll ask that question, why are we not evangelizing? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
When I was growing up, we enjoyed reading the Peanuts comic strip, and they're still out there. You can read the old ones, but one of my favorite, and one I quote a lot, is Linus and Lucy and Charlie Brown are lying in a field looking up into the sky. And Lucy says, you can see a lot of things in the cloud. And she turns to Linus, and she says, what do you see, Linus? And Linus says, well, those clouds up there look to me like the map of Belize, the little nation of the Caribbean. And that cloud over there looked like the profile of Thomas Eakins, the famous painter and sculptor. And that cloud formation over there gives me the impression of the stoning of Stephen. Why, I can see Saul of Tarsus standing on one side. Lucy said, well, that's good. What do you see, Charlie Brown? And he said, well, I was going to say I see a ducky and a horsey, but I've changed my mind. <laughs> Many times we're in discussion at home, and I'll tell Eileen, well, I was going to say a horsey and a ducky, but I've changed my mind. I love that comment strip because sometimes when you make observations, you realize you missed it. Imagine how the disciples felt as they're coming to talk to Jesus and he begins to show them their observations were wrong. As I said, the background of the story, we just went over a few moments ago. Jesus is traveling with his disciples. They go through Samaria. He sends them to get some food. This woman comes and is talking to him. Again, you didn't talk to women in public in that day. And you did not talk to Samaritans in that day. And Jesus is talking to this woman at the well. The disciples are getting food. As they're on their way back, they see this picture. And they are amazed. In fact, that's what John tells us. Verse 27, at this point... His disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? I love that. Here they come. They see Jesus talking to the woman, and they're looking at one another. Why is he talking to a Samaritan woman? Well, why did you ask him? I'm not going to ask him. I, I'm not going to look like a, an idiot. Well, we don't know. And this woman was so excited. Look at verse 28. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? This woman is talking to Jesus, and she leaves the water pot. You did not do that in that culture. I mean, in other words, water, water is vital in that society. You did not leave your water pot. But she was so excited, she ran into the town and gathered the men around and said, Look, I, I found the, someone who knew all about me. He knew about my past. Is this not the Christ? And so she is talking to them, and here come the disciples. They're talking to Jesus. And then Jesus, as he is talking to them, makes an interesting statement. Verse 35, do you not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the field that they are white for harvest. Why is he saying that? Because as Jesus is talking to the disciples, as Jesus is getting a report about the city, as Jesus is asking the disciples, tell me, do you think we can talk to these people? Do you think we can tell them about God in Sychar? Apparently, they came up and said, Lord, maybe in four months, they're not ready. And while they're saying that, Jesus says, lift up your head. The field is white with harvest because at that time, the men of the city are coming down the road, and you can see their, their white robes, their turbans, as they're coming to Jesus. The disciples thought they weren't ready. The disciples said it'd be at least four more months. Jesus is saying they're ready now. 
In fact, Jesus stayed there two days. And John said, many believed. And then he said, many more believed. The great harvest took place. All the time, the disciples were saying, I don't think it can be done right now. They're not ready, Lord. They're just not ready. Why do we not witness? Why is it that Christians are not sharing their faith? We've talked about it before. Most Christians do not share their faith. Most Christians do not share their faith one-on-one. Why is that true? This text gives us some reasons. Because the disciples didn't. The disciples didn't tell what they knew. And we're looking at the disciples, we can understand why we do not share our faith. So let me, let's go over this as we look at this passage. Number one, we don't witness because we don't have compassion for people. We don't witness because we don't have compassion for people. We, we see this in verse 27. They see Jesus talking with this woman, and they are amazed that he's talking with a woman. He's a man, she's a woman, he's Jewish, she's a Samaritan, he's the holy God, she's a sinner. And they are amazed. They should have been excited. They should have been excited. Jesus is talking to her, he's going to tell her who he is. But they don't care. There is no compassion for this woman. The word compassion is stronger than the word concern. And we mix those up. When I have a love for someone and I'm willing to act upon it, that's compassion. In fact, when we find it in Scripture, and every time you find the word compassion in Scripture, someone is acting upon it. So Jesus had compassion on the leper in Mark chapter 1, and he reached out and touched him. The father and the prodigal son had compassion, and he ran toward his son and hugged him. The good Samaritan had compassion on the wounded man and and took care of his needs. Whenever we love someone enough to act, that is compassion. But if we are not willing to act, then that's not compassion. There is a difference in having a concern and having compassion. So I I can have a concern for starving children in the world But if I don't do anything, I have no compassion. I can have a concern for the homeless, but if I do nothing to help that situation, I have no compassion. I can have a concern for the lost, but if I do not act upon it, if I don't share my faith, then I have no compassion. Here's what the problem is. In the church today, the modern church, we have a concern for lost people, but we don't have a compassion for lost people. Oh, we're concerned about it. We talk about them in our Bible studies. We talk about how, why don't they give their life to Christ? And then, have you shared your faith? Oh, no, no, no. I'm not acting upon it. See, you can have concern for lost people, but have no compassion. And until you have compassion, you're never going to share your faith. The disciples didn't have compassion for the woman. In fact, all they looked at her, they saw someone bothering Jesus. And the disciples didn't have compassion for the town. All they saw were they're the enemy. Remember, they were in the town. The disciples did not have passion, compassion for the woman because they passed her on the way to town. There's only one road. These men passed the woman and didn't say anything to her. 
The disciples didn't have compassion for the people because they were in town and they did not invite one person to come meet Jesus. They're the disciples of Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And not one of them said, hey, why did you come see the Messiah? They did not have compassion. And because they didn't have compassion, they didn't share their faith. We need to pray, Lord, give us compassion. Because when you love someone enough that you will do something for them, then you will start sharing your faith. Number two. We don't witness because we don't see the people. We don't witness because we don't see the people. I mean, if we don't have compassion on people, then we'll never see people anyway. Jesus had compassion. He, he saw the crowd. Jesus saw people. In fact, when he's talking to the disciples, he said, lift up your eyes. Look, here they come. Many times in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, the gospel, it talks about Jesus looking at the crowd with compassion because he saw them. The disciples had been in that city of Sychar buying food and mingling with the people, but they didn't see the people. They didn't share their faith with anyone. They didn't invite anyone to come see Jesus. And now they're seeing this entire village coming in mass to see Jesus. So how is it possible you can go into a town, a village, how is it possible that we don't see people? Well, there's a couple of reasons in our story. One is sometimes we get preoccupied. They didn't go to the city to evangelize. They went to buy food. And they're focused on buying food. That's all they thought about. I'm going to go buy some food. Sometimes we become so preoccupied with what we're doing, we don't see people. We all do that. We have a task we have to do. I was, I was pumping gas the other day, and, and the person next to me was talking to me. I didn't even hear them. And finally, they, they called out my name. I, oh, I'm, I was thinking about something. I, I, I wasn't even noticing people around me. Why? Because I was focused. Let's get the gas in, and, and let, let's, let's go to the next place, and let's do this. We can become so preoccupied we don't see the people. But second of all, in this case, there was prejudice. That's why they didn't see the people. They didn't see the woman, because we see that in verse 27, that hint. Why is, she, why is he talking to her? They didn't care if she was saved. Why is he talking to that woman? Why is he talking to that Samaritan? Sometimes we do that. We look at someone, and, and the prejudice may be maybe their age. Well, they're older than I am, and I'm not going to talk to them. Or maybe they're younger than I am. I'm not going to talk to them. Or maybe they're not as educated as I am. I'm, I'm not going to talk to them. Or maybe they're more educated than I am. I'm not going to talk to them. Maybe they're poorer than I am. I'm not going to talk to them. Maybe they're richer than I am. I, well, I'm not going to talk to them. You see, we have, need to have the, uh, the, the concept of looking and noticing people. And we don't see people. Sometimes we'll go to an event. It, it, it may be you know, a ball game, a hockey game, uh, maybe go to the beach, go to Disney, somewhere, and we're, we're having fun. And then all of a sudden, I notice the people. Now, I don't know if you do this, but I'll be someplace, and we're, we're having fun with the family, we're talking, laughing, and then it's almost like I stop, and I look around, and I see all these people, and I start wondering are they going to go to heaven? I 
are they saved? And then I start looking at families wondering, I wonder what it would take to win that family. I, I wonder what it's going to take to win that particular family. Are they going to listen to the gospel at all? And I'll look at a crowd. If you're in an arena, I look at the, the multitudes in the crowd going, they're all here. I wonder what it's going to take. I wonder who is going to, to talk to them. And, and I'll begin to pray. I, I'll begin to pray for the people around me. God, send someone into their lives. We need someone. But I can go from not noticing them to noticing them. Sometimes we don't see the people. Wednesday nights, we've been praying for the Ukraine situation and the refugees that are going to Poland. We're talking about the millions of people. And, and I watch that. And I'm watching it from the standpoint of food and shelter and care. And then it hits me. Are they saved? Ukraine has a very strong church. Are they Christian or not? Who's going to share faith? I know our IMB, Paul Chitwood, is in Poland working, uh, helping the people in the refugee camps. And, and so we're looking at that, t- talking, how can we win people to Christ? We don't see people because we get so preoccupied in our own jobs or we just don't want to look at people. In 1992, Los Angeles County Parking Control Officer saw a brown Cadillac Eldorado illegally parked. It was on sweeping day. The officer wrote the ticket out. The man was sitting there. The officer didn't want to say anything to the man. He just stuck the ticket in the dash. The man didn't say a word, didn't argue. The officer walked away. Well, the reason the man didn't say anything, he was dead. Twelve hours earlier, he had been shot. He was sitting up, his head was down, he was covered in blood. The officer didn't notice it. During the investigation, they noticed the ticket. They asked the officer, and the officer admitted, I was so busy giving the ticket, I did not notice the person. Well, sometimes we can be so committed to doing what we are supposed to be doing, we don't see it. God has created us with this incredible brain. There's something in our brain that God has given to us called the reticular activating system, called RAS. The RAS is an incredible thing. What it does is, is the gatekeeper of your brain. Every day, every moment, our brains are being bombarded with messages. I mean, right now, there are so many things, you know, sights and sounds and thoughts just coming at us. All day, they're just coming at us. What the RAS does is focus on what's important. It figures out what is important to you. And it lets that information come in. The brain figures it out. The brain says, oh, this is important to them. I'll let that information come through all the noise. So, for example, have you ever noticed you buy a new car and you think, well, this, no one has this car in Paducah, and now you see that car everywhere? You know what's happening? Your RAS kicked in. Have you ever noticed you're, you're in a crowd of people and all of a sudden you see someone wearing the colors of your sports team? All the people, you see that person? Have you ever noticed a, a mom can hear her child, all these children are crying, and then her child says something, they heard the child. Because God has given to us this RAS system, what's important will get through your brain. And that's how we survive. What would happen if our brains figured out that what's really important to us is lost people. 
and that we'll see them. And you'll see them like you've never seen them before. You see, we don't witness because we don't see. Next, we don't witness because we don't understand the urgency of the moment. We don't understand the urgency of the moment. Again, Jesus is really chastising them in verse 35. He said, did you not say, in other words, they said it, did you not say there are yet four months and then come the harvest? Hey, guys, you're talking about four months? We don't have four months. They're here. We have an advantage here. You missed the opportunity. You were in that town, and you didn't share your faith with anyone. You didn't invite anyone to come see me. If we're going to witness, we need to understand the urgency of the matter. There was a little boy who heard his grandfather's clock strike 13, and he came running in. Grandpa, it's never been this late before. (laughs) Right now, it's never been this late before in the history of the world. I don't know when Jesus is going to come back. I do know this. He's closer today than he was yesterday. He's going to be closer tomorrow than he is today. Here's the disciples. They're saying, oh, it's going to take months to do anything. Let's not worry with it. Let's not bother with it. And Jesus said, don't you understand the urgency right now? I told the story a couple of years ago from Gypsy Smith. Gypsy Smith was an evangelist of another generation. Gypsy Smith tells a story about a Confederate soldier his name was Peter Apples. Peter Apples, when he went into the war, I mean, he, he just came right off the farm. He, he, he brought a hoe <laughs> to, to the army. He didn't even have a rifle. He didn't know anything about army. All he knew, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And so in one of the battles, they gave the sound to charge. And so the Confederates charge and Peter Apples is charging bullets are flying all around them he kept charging well then the bugler sounded retreat well he didn't remember what that meant so all the soldiers turned and went back but Peter Apples kept running into the, the Yankee soldiers Union soldiers he made his way he jumped down there was a trench he jumped down the trench and he reached over and grabbed one of the enemy soldiers by the collar and dragged him out of the trench and started taking him back but now the Union soldiers couldn't shoot. They're afraid they might shoot their own soldier. And so he's carrying the Roman, the, the Roman soldier. He's carrying the, the Union soldier. That's where my world is. He's carrying the Union soldier all the way back. He comes back. He throws it at the feet of the commanding officer. And the commanding officer is looking at him. He said, where in the world did you find that man? He says, sir, I got him from that enemy trench. And let me tell you, there's a whole parcel of them over there. And then he looked at everyone, and by the way, if you guys really wanted one, you can go get one. He had the passion, I'm going to do what it takes. My commanding officer told me to do something. We need to have that same passion, the urgency of the matter. And maybe because it's my job. In my job, I do funerals. In my job, I go to the hospitals when things happen no one expected. And I've seen people one day and two days later, they're dead. Or I'm talking to someone, and all of a sudden they're, and they're in some kind of accident, and they, they're not going to recover. And so I understand the urgency. We don't know what's going to happen to any of us. But we need to have that urgency. So if you're a Sunday school teacher, you need to look at your class and ask, is there someone in this class that needs to know the gospel? If you're a businessman or business lady, is there someone, one of your employees, one of your customers that, that need to know the gospel? If you are a doctor, is there, is there a patient or someone in your field that needs to know the gospel? 
if you're a coach, is there someone, and you see these athletes, is there someone on your team that you know that needs the gospel? If you are a student, is there someone in your classroom that needs to know the gospel? We need to have the urgency of the hour because time is running short. Whether we would like to admit it or not, for all of us, time is running short. It's always been that way. Well, finally, the reason we don't witness is because we don't have a commitment to the Father's will. We don't have a commitment to the Father's will. When the disciples came back and they're talking to Jesus, they asked him, why aren't you eating? He's not hungry. Verse 34, Jesus explained what happened. He was hungry when they left. He was tired when they left. Verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus said, I'm not hungry anymore because I'm committed to my father's will. And I'm not hungry now. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know what that says? God's will is for everyone to come to know him. You know, we, people always try to figure out God's will. People ask me, no, I'm, I'm seeking God's will in my life. Help me find God's will in my life. I can tell you one thing in God's will. God's will is for everyone to come to know Jesus Christ, and we are to be committed to do God's will. When Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember what he prayed? Father, not my will, but thy will be done. He taught us to pray, thy will be done. We are to do whatever it takes to do God's will. And the Bible is clear, God's will is for people to come to know him. The great commandment, we're to love God and love others, and then we have the great commission, we're to go and tell them about Jesus. He gave us the plan. John 20, 21, he said, Jesus said to the disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The Father sent Jesus to save us, and now Jesus is sending us to save them. If you're seeking God's will tonight, you need to understand, God's will is really simple. You need to go and tell people about Jesus. You see, I think this is probably one of our biggest problems. We don't really understand that. And then Jesus tells us something. It's not that the harvest is not ready. We're just not doing our job. You know, later on in the Gospels, Jesus said, pray for the harvesters. The harvest is ready. But look at verse 36. Jesus said, already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I send you to reap that which you do not labor. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. That's an incredible promise. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying. Some people are going to share the gospel. Some people are going to see people come to know Christ. Maybe the same person, it may not. It may be that you are going to share the gospel with someone, and you may not ever see them come to know Christ, but someone's going to come back behind you, share the gospel, they're going to give their life to Christ because you share the gospel. And some people we are going to share the gospel with is not because we're sharing the gospel, but someone shared the gospel with them previously. And Jesus said it's the same thing. This is a principle you don't find in any other field. I mean, a farmer expects to reap what he sows. A salesman expects to reap what he sows, a commission. A car dealer expects to reap what he sows, you know, the sale. 
But in spiritual matters, Jesus said in missions and evangelism, the sower may sow and someone else may reap, but they have the same joy. There's no difference. It's a principle. So as we are sharing our faith, even if they don't come to know Christ, someone else may be behind us and they're going to get the harvest. But it makes no difference because we're on the same team and we're doing the same work. So we, we saw this in a church I served in Alabama. There was a trailer park, and we did everything we could to, to reach that trailer park. I mean, we went door to door. We had activities, and we couldn't get one person to come to our church. A few years later, another church came in town, and they went to the trailer park, and there was a revival. The pastor called me, and he told me, he said, I want you to know you laid the foundation." As we were going trailer to trailer, they kept saying, oh, that church has told us this, and then they started accepting it. That's a spiritual principle. They were the harvesters, we have sown. Sometimes we're the harvesters, and someone else has sown. But we need to understand, we need to be committed to God's will, or we are never going to witness. In the 1800s, there was a man named Charlie Peace. Interesting name for a man because he was a murderer. He was a thief in England. They finally sentenced him to, ex to be executed. On his way to execution, a minister, according to the custom, was walking beside him reading Scripture and then reading a description of hell. And Charlie Peace stopped and looked at the preacher and he said this, his own record. He said, sir, if I believe you and the church of God says, and even if England was covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. Hear what he said? You know, if I ever believe what you're telling me, I would tell everyone. Why haven't you? Why haven't you been telling everyone? And the disciples are looking at one another. They're thinking, Lord, we missed it. We said four months, and the Bible says the next two days there was revival. And the town was turned upside down because Jesus was there. You may be here tonight, you may be online. You've never given your life to Christ. Will you do that tonight? By admitting that you are a sinner, saying, God, I can't save myself. And, and I believe that Jesus died for my sins, and I give him everything. I don't know how much time I have left, because no one does. It's very possible someone's listening to my voice, you won't be here next Sunday. That's just the way the world is. So you need to make a decision tonight. No more hesitation. Just text the word today at 270-398-5005, at and a minister will give you a call. For those of us who are here, what has God laid on your heart? Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Again, there's no guarantees you'll be back next week. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just being honest. It's just the reality of it. Take advantage of this moment. Would you stand by your heads? Father, there's a lost world around us. And Father, forgive us because we don't have the compassion. 
We look around, and Father, we give all the reasons why we shouldn't be sharing our faith. We, we think of all the reasons why we're not telling people about Christ. We're thinking of all the reasons we're not inviting people to church. And none of those reasons are good. Father, we need a revival in the United States. We need a revival in the world. And it will never take place until we do not get serious about following you. And so, Father, tonight I pray that if there's anyone here or watching online who needs to give their life to Christ, let tonight be the night. Let them give their life to you, Father, because no one knows what tomorrow may bring. Father, for those of us who are believers, I pray we'll take it very seriously to share our faith. That even by next week when we gather together, we can say we shared our faith with someone. We told someone about Christ. Because we have compassion for the lost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.